Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host Matt Fortune. We're both atop Notre Dame Stadium after Notre Dame's 24-17 win over Cal. That was it was a lot of a lot. Uh, and I think that Marcus Freeman wore that on his face after the game sure for, how, for how stoic he was during it. Um, it almost reminded me of like the uh, Bob Knight NCAA tournament press conference oh, where, yeah. where he's like, exactly what, what's like. my game face? And yeah. like he makes every face imaginable. Yep. But um, yeah, th- this one probably took... A year off Marcus Freeman's life, but to get your first win after three straight losses, uh, he would probably, if he was with us right now, say that was totally worth it. Robert Montgomery Knight was not the personality no. I expected for Marcus Freeman after his That'd first be, win as a head coach. I started in my preview, noted how the season the general did, hey, the yeah. season <laughs> felt like it was on the brink, um, <laughs> and to pull it look to pull it back, they really needed something from everybody today. They need Drew Pine to get it in gear in the second half. They needed the offensive line to sort of play a little bit like the offensive line we thought it was going to be. They needed the defensive line to play a lot like the defensive mm-hmm. line we thought it was going to be. Uh, and ultimately, that was just enough to get over the line. Uh, Hail Mary at the end that hit some Cal hands. I'm not sure who it was because we're 120 yards away in the other end zone. But, uh, yeah, it was exhausting. Um, I'm not sure that Notre Dame figured out exactly who they are or who they can be. But I think they learned to sort of play within some of their limitations today. And I think a, a lot of that starts at quarterback going to Drew Pine for his first career start. Yeah, I don't know how much they, they figured out about themselves so much as, all right, we got that win under a belt. Like there's this gray cloud removed from everything we do right now. We can move forward and go about the business of figuring out who we are. I mean, it was this game was something. I mean, from, from start to finish, it, it looked like it could have gone either way. Multiple times down on the field at the end there, Notre Dame looks like they clinched it, only to not have clinched it. Um, capped, of course, by a Hail Mary that eerily resembled Jim Harbaugh and Aaron Bailey uh, for the old school NFL. We're in Indiana. Um, <laughs> got Bob Colts, Knight and Jim Colts Harbaugh Steelers on the podcast. Got, got Bill Coward his first Super Bowl after a lot of big defeats. This one got Marcus Freeman his first win um, after some tough defeats. It, it I was standing down in the end zone during that final drive, and again, multiple times, Notre Dame looked like they had, one, gotten their first turnover of the season, and two, close out the game. And both times, uh, talking to a couple folks, they were just like, they did all the celebrate watch. They're going to be on their toes, and Cal's going to drive down and, and tie it right now. They damn near did that. Um, I, I don't know how resilient this team is right now, to be completely honest with you. like They, they kind of just seem to be out there playing hard and, and trying to come up with a win, but but kind of desperate for something good to happen, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Now, we did see them. We saw them get after the passer all day. We didn't see them get home on the passer really till, till the second half, I felt. I thought a lot of Cal's big plays on offense were Jack Plummer, who's not going to be mistaken from Lamar Jackson, basically avoiding the rush, breaking a sack, and scrambling for 12 or so yards. I mean, he had a big one on fourth down on their second-to-last drive, and um, – Gave Cal uh, more than a puncher's chance to win at the end there. It's funny, look at the stats now. 
Total Yards, Notre Dame 297, yeah. Cal 296, which sounds fitting because um, it, it was uh, it was the only matchup between top 20 schools as released by this week's, this year's U.S. News and World Report. And um, neither team played all that smart today. I didn't think a lot of dumb penalties on both sides, some questionable, some not. But it, it was an error-filled kind of comedy of errors out there this afternoon and Thankfully for Notre Dame, they escape with a with a win, and, and you know they've got their quarterback. Yeah. And they don't have a choice, but he's one to know, and they move forward from here. Yeah, I mean, I'd throw the officials into the comedy of errors yeah. as well. I mean, I thought that the the celebration penalty on Cal was incredibly weak <laughs> at the beginning, but then also Cal hit a shot play right before that play that looked like the ball hit the ground. They didn't even take time to review right. it. Um, Cal smartly gets up the line. They, they, got booed. they were the first off the field of the refs, and we're standing right yeah. there in the tunnel. They got booed pretty, yes. pretty heavily. Understandably yes. so. <laughs> um, but I think if Notre Dame found something that it wanted to find opposed to accepting something that it is, it's that pass rush, six sacks. But I think where that factors in most is Jake Plummer, or not Jake Plummer, but uh, – Cal's Jack, Jack, Jack Plummer, Plummer <laughs> finishes 16 to 37 for 184, under 50%. Notre Dame was second to last in the country in completion percentage against coming into this game. They could they did not make quarterbacks uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form uh, most of the first two weeks. When they did against Ohio State, CJ Stroud was was athletic enough to get out of it. They didn't do anything against Columbia from Marshall last week. So to hold a quarterback under 50% passing, uh, and I get some of that is driven up by the end of the game when they have to throw on that final drive, but I thought they did a good job of making Plummer uncomfortable and not letting him settle into a rhythm even before that final drive. Uh, and that's that's something I thought they, that was going to be a calling card of this team this year. Hasn't played out that way, obviously, but um, to finally get there, I, I wonder if of all the things Notre Dame showed today that was good – if that's what can be repurposed the most moving forward to North Carolina next week and then BYU after that. That's I mean, a different challenge next week. Drake May has looked unreal so far for the Tar Heels, but 60 total plays for Cal, 64 for Notre Dame, 4.4 yards per play for Cal, 4.6 for Notre Dame, both average 3.6 yards per rush. Uh, again, about as even of a matchup as you can hope for. Actually, Cal won the turnover battle, but um, it, it, it was – the, the offense, I, I'm hesitant to say they found an identity, but they found something that worked. Um, they got Chris Tyree involved, a guy we were all curious about through the first two weeks. Where is he? Why isn't he playing more? Logan Diggs came down with an illness this week, according to Marcus Freeman. Independent of that, I, I just thought they needed to get Tyree more touches. I don't know, maybe if he wasn't feeling all that hot the last two weeks, but he, he was their offense today. I mean, 64 rushing yards on 17 carries team leader in re- receiving of course 44 yards on five carries <laughs> top two receivers chris tyree and audrick sma not what you want to see but like it worked i mean they had that go-to almost late developing screen pass in motion to either one of those guys kind of dinking and dunking their way down the field that they were able to essentially rely on um, until they couldn't, until they had to run the ball between the tackles and run off the clock, which they weren't able to do and haven't been able to do really all, all throughout this season. But uh, they got something going. Drew Pine did not play great the first couple drives. There was one drop that, that was not his fault by Lorenzo Styles, but it was it, it 
between that, between Tommy Reese going viral for doing his best Brian Kelly impression on NBC, um, it, it did not look good. But but they found some form of comfort offensively that was just enough to put them in position to win the game, ultimately win the game. And frankly, they, they, they should have closed it out sooner than they did. I You know, when you say they found something that worked offensively, I would... I feel like it's the today. Diff- it worked today. Yeah, I feel like what they actually did was they stopped doing stuff that didn't work. Right. They finally got away from stuff that was broken. Um, you know, in the second half, Drew Pine was ten of eleven for ninety three yards. Pretty much the entire passing game went through the running backs, all within five yards of the line of scrimmage. A lot of it behind the line of scrimmage. Is this like? It's not a great offense. I don't think it's going to be at any point this year. But that doesn't mean it can't be a functional offense. And I think if if you marry that mm-hmm. with a pass rush that I f- feels legitimate to me after today, if you can get those two things working in concert, then I think you can talk about like it, they're not going to the college football player for the New Year Six, but like we could talk about them as can they go eight and four? Um, we can talk about them. Can they compete with Clemson and USC at the end of the year? Which is like I get it. This is a Probably sounds a little hyperbolic after 24-17 against Cal. (laughs) But I do think there are some things that will travel moving forward defensively because they're good and finally showed it. And offensively, not because they're good, but they understand how limited they are and can sort of – they know themselves offensively after today. I would hope, at least in the second half. And even though Marcus Freeman said, like, that's something for this week, I I don't think that's true. I think that's something for the rest of the season because I'm just not sure there's much else out there when you look at the box score and you see Lorenzo Styles three catches, 29 yards. Braden Lindsay, three catches, 20 yards. Matt Salerno, one catch, four yards. No Tobias Merriweather. Jaden Thomas played but was not a factor. Uh, they just don't have anything at receiver, and I don't – other than Styles, and I just – I don't know where or why that would suddenly pop up the rest of the year. Nor do they have a quarterback who has the arm strength to push the ball vertically. Like last week, Tyler Buckner was one of seven on throws of 20 yards or more. I don't know if Pine attempted a throw of 20 yards right. or more. And I, and I wouldn't expect that he's going to attempt more than one a game, two a game. And that would be more out of desperation than out of strategy. So it's, um, you know, Reese, I thought, if you could say an offensive coordinator called a good game when you score 24 points and had 297 yards and you were dropping F-bombs on your quarterback on national television, I thought Reese in the second half had a good game. First half, I think he was still kind of mucking around with everybody else here to try to figure out, okay, what actually, who are we? What can we get? What can we do that actually works? Agree. It was a really ugly first half. I mean, they took them until the second quarter to get their first first down. They got very uh, Bronx cheer cheery from the crowd um just just kind of people were, were, were fed up i mean they had four false start penalties on third down alone in the first half including one by Lindsay, the receiver you mentioned michael mayer cal took him out of the game good on cal except for that one <laughs> touchdown where he was wide unforgivable open, but, frankly yeah, okay. <laughs> that was unforgivable but two catches 10 yards you look at that if you're cal you're thinking boy we did our job right um if you hold Notre Dame 150 yards passing you're probably thinking we did our job right too um it was, I mean, we, we forget about some of these little moments right now, particularly in the first half, but Notre Dame misses a 45-yard field goal attempt, I think, to get on the board. There's a offsides call that I did right. not have volume on. I didn't see, I saw the replay. Unless the guy had lined up, 
too close to the line, and I don't think he did. And by all accounts, everyone who watched the game said he didn't. Like that, that resulted in seven points in our game. And, right. Um, their first touchdown in the second half came on a boneheaded targeting penalty by a Cal linebacker oh my goodness. on third down. I mean, the play was – Cal had him stuffed. and Yeah, the ball like, was out of Pine. Drew Pine's hands and, and going out of bounds. That's So that's – what's the extra – that's 10 extra points, right? I mean, or yeah, 14 extra – I don't know. I can't do math anymore. They would have got a field goal out of that, but, I mean, 11 extra points because that was a seven they ended up getting on the front end, four on the, the back end that they probably didn't deserve. Um, and then – Cal does them a favor by calling a timeout with four seconds left when Notre Dame's in punt formation at midfield. And instead of just like putting Pine in there to heave it up to the end zone and make something out of nothing, they elect to actually punt it. Again, that got so like buried down on the list of things that ultimately didn't matter in this game that we didn't ask Marcus Freeman about it. But I I mean, just being around the press box, texting with fans, Obviously, seeing a lot pregame here, like the, the culmination of pregame to halftime, like it was just a very not great mood around here. I don't know how else to put it. Obviously, no, it was it very tense. Win, but yeah, like I, I think that both of us probably picked that up before the game. Right. Like, I don't think we've been to many games between unranked teams. I'm talking about the AP poll, not US News and World Report, <laughs> where there was so much tension in the stadium. Right. Like it felt like there was everything to lose for Notre Dame in a season that like has already gone off the rails in terms of the college football playoff. And I thought, you know, speaking of that, one of the most interesting things said after the game was from Chris Tyree when he was talking about the relief of winning, um, you know, does it sort of like let you guys exhale for a little bit? And he said, I think the quote was like last year, we took these W's Mm -hmm. for granted, which I thought, was probably more insightful than he wanted to right. be, but um, it said something about just sort of this program believing in its own sort of like natural ability to just like make these games happen um, and figure out a way to muck your way through them and win. Cause God knows they did that a ton of times under Brian Kelly. And then you, you start the post game media with Marcus Freeman saying winning which, is hard, I which joked. is like the ultimate Kelly. I, I mean, it's on T-shirts. Was uh, I with you? I mean, they're walking out the field. I turn to someone and I go, oh, I'm sure we'll get a winning is hard like we would for Brian Kelly after one of these. And sure enough, the first thing yeah. Marcus Freeman says is winning is hard. I mean, but that's I mean, it says something about where Notre Dame was like this kind of game for how painful in some ways it was, was a game that Notre Dame would automatically win under Brian Kelly 42 out of 42 times. Mm-hmm. Um They've got a long way to go to sort of earn that belief, earn that sort of self-confidence again. You just don't get to have it because you want it. Um, so, And I don't know if today really gets you very far down that journey, but it sort of it arrests the slide that you were on where, man, you start questioning everything. And I think that's, you know, and 3 maybe you're talking about, the locker room having some fissures in it about why isn't the offense delivering, you know, guys looking ahead, uh, guys thinking about what, you know, where their, what their roles are moving forward. So to be able to put that all to the side and, you know, see if photos post game of, you know, Drew Pine sort of screaming into the locker room um, to sing the victory March for the first time. um, All that is significant. Like you can't, was you can't win until you stop losing, or you can't lose. I can't not lose until you win. I don't know what the saying is, but like it's God knows for Notre Dame, it's it's better than the alternative. Which like I'm I'm not sure how much 
they could have taken a, a, a loss like today after the way the season had started. Well, and, and with who's on deck, I mean, I'm sure you as well as me, everyone I talked to and saw pregame had the, some variation of we better win this one because if we don't, when, when the hell are we going to, essentially? Right. And that's eliminated as a question, at least in the short term. Carolina's got a hell of an offense, and that will be a, a challenge in its own right, although they haven't played all that well defensively. And I think you know, getting a win under your belt and, and building this offense around Drew Pine throughout the course of the season will, will give you something to build off. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Freeman postgame was just... Yeah, he was probably more colorful than he intended to be. Like, it was good for us as far as, like, you know... He said, I'm only going to focus on the positives. You know, he got asked about still not uh, forcing a turnover, and he rolled his eyes like, I know, can I catch a break? He got asked about what's going on through his mind on the uh, Hail Mary in the final drive, and he's like, a conversation between me and God. Like, and then me and myself. And, yeah, me and myself. And me and, and J.D. Bertrand. J.D. Bertrand after, and he's like, oh, yeah, and I got to focus on the game. It's hard, like, uh, intentionally or not. Like, you got to uh, – that was about as unfiltered and as direct a, a glimpse, I think, as, as any of us will get with cameras present into the mind of a guy who's never done this before. Yeah. I you think never it, get that from Brian Kelly, at least no. after year three. No, I mean, you would sometimes, but then it felt like an act. Right. Um, I think that it was much more unvarnished and authentic with Marcus Freeman, which, like, for better or worse, is sort of his default setting. Um, that, yeah, I just, he looked exhausted. Not in a, like, where are you going to find the energy the rest of the season? But just like, wow, today took a lot out of me, which I totally get. Um, no, he, he's he was walking, coaching with the weight of the world on his shoulders today. He's, you know, the last one out going through the tunnel as they win. And we're all standing there and the fans are going crazy. Coach, congrats. Well, he didn't, didn't even break stride, didn't even look up, give a high five. It was like, no. get me out of here. I got that W. We got a lot to work on. Yeah. This is not a time for celebration. Another tunnel scene, uh, similar reaction was Tommy Reese going up the tunnel. Uh, somebody said, you know, great game, Tommy, nothing, no response at all. Um, I think for him today, man, I, you know, we were talking to some people before the game. I, not that there's ever more pressure on the OC than there is on the head coach, but today was about as close as you're going to get between the two of them because, I mean, Reese is, it's been a struggle. Um, not as the offense played poorly to date. You lose your starting quarterback that you were trying to build around for so long, uh, and you got to sort of reinvent who you are 
uh, in a week's time. This was a big uh, answer the bell for Tommy Reese, which he did in the second half, did not in the first. Um, but it, it, I got, I got to think if you're Reese, you feel like okay, at least I, I found something. It might not be the offense I want to call, but. Damn it! Like we've got something that works for us now, and before and before today, I didn't know if we did. I mean, he was trending in the first half, which is never a good thing, especially if you're Notre Dame coach. He was trending for the same reasons Brian Kelly would usually trend. Like, you know, NBC caught him in a moment of frustration, and thankfully for him, he's he's you know got that currency in the bank with Drew Pine, who's comes out there first thing. Um, he's on, he was on his phone. Drew Pine was. Um, when a couple other players were talking, when it was his turn to talk, okay. he got asked about Tommy and he's like, Oh, I saw that video. And he, he was able to laugh it off. And he's like, I told him from Sunday on when I knew I was going to be starting. Um, I want you to coach me as hard as possible. Um, Cause that's what I respond best to. And based on what we saw on the field today, that's true. But you do worry about Reese in the sense of like <laughs> mental health, Well, like not to be a dead horse, but like, you know, no Notre Dame fan will ever, see Brian Kelly through like a clear-eyed perspective. And I completely get that. It was a very ugly ending. But even when he was here and even, you know, whatever good things he does at LSU, like he's he's put himself into a corner publicly where like he's always just going to be like, not a meme, but like no matter what he does right, no matter how many games he's winning, he's still going to be like Brian Kelly and people are going to get a yeah. laugh out of whatever he does. I'm not suggesting by any means Tommy Reese is at that level yet, but like – He's become public enemy number one on the fan base because there's always going to be a target, and he's been the OC, and he's familiar with this place. And to see that scene unfold on national TV uh, in the middle of what was a very poor performance in the first half, I, I, I just worry about that becoming an unnecessary storyline for him in this team. And because they won and because Drew Pine came out and played the way he did and said what he said, I, I don't think that is an issue. But but it's one more thing that's like all the naysayers are going to monitor uh, in a, a season that hasn't gone according to plan. Yeah, so far. there's certainly a lot of like your. I think the fan base is sort of like waiting for the next Reese slip up, like the next bad half, and then they'll freak out again, and maybe he'll bounce back, and like they'll shut up, and then you know freak out again. And like I, I get the freak out because the offense looked very broken in the first half. Um, I you know him working with Pine, I and I get it because you like Notre Dame should never have a quarterback who cannot hit Michael Mayer on third down over the middle. That should never happen at a place like this. And the fact that it was happening at the worst time, like I get why Reese lost it over the phone to pine. Um, Because it, and that's, that's like a much bigger picture story that I will probably be writing in in the short term here about like, how did Notre Dame get itself into this quarterback mm-hmm. position? Cause that's just not where big time programs are supposed to be. But, um, you know, I, I, I credit again, going back to like, I give Reese credit for accepting what the offense was in the second half and figuring out a way to move it forward. Like there is no offense according in the country who just wants to call pass plays to the running backs and inside runs. Like nobody wants to do that. Um, He's had much more creative play calls in the first couple of weeks. Some have worked, some have not, um, than the stuff we saw today. Today felt much more like, I don't want to say like damage control. That doesn't, that's not what it is, but it was. Crisis a, management. It, yeah, I mean, crisis management is the, what I'm looking for there. It's it, it felt like an acceptance of like, okay, we're not even close to who I want us to be, but 
we are sure as hell going to be one and two at the end of this day instead of oh and three if if I can help the defense out by holding onto the ball, by letting Drew Pine hit a bunch of short passes, uh, by leaning into Estime and Tyree, the two running backs that they trust, I think more than Diggs at this point, who's coming off the obviously the the spring shoulder surgery. So it um, yeah, I, th- I think it was a lot of just like all right. This isn't what I want us to be, but this is what we are. So how the hell do we get over the line? And it, you know, you get over the line by the ball, essentially falling off a Cal receiver's fingers in the end zone. Do you think they would have gone for two if they got it? Nah, Justin Wilcox doesn't strike me as like a risk taking (laughs) head coach. Um, I'm a different, I I like, I like guys who, who, who are gutsy and will go for it, especially in an environment like this. I have no argument for or against it because with the way overtime set up right now, it basically turns into a game of two-point conversion, so might yeah. as well end it here for better or for worse. But that's something we can ponder in another universe. Uh, and Nerd fans can ponder in another universe. I do think, I mean, you know, we obviously had Michael Jr. on our pod after week one, and, um, you know, Nerd Dame fans were, were, were making Tommy Reese kind of the, the, the target for the loss at Ohio State. Um, I, I didn't really understand that, to be honest, like, given what we knew about that offense, even before we saw all the bad things the last two weeks and given what we knew about Ohio State, I wasn't I, – I didn't think really anyone was to blame for that. If anything, mm-hmm. blame Al Golden for calling the, the double safety blitz yeah. on third down, which ended up deciding the game, so to speak. Um, last week, I mean, you lose to Marshall, I think anyone and anything is fair game. Like, yeah. blame whatever. Like, that's totally fair. Um, but, but I do think, and we saw today and we see it at the box score – um, the failure of this program to go out and get multiple extra bodies at receiver, even before Avery Davis got hurt. Um, the failure to have another arm to compete in that quarterback room. And I know that is a more delicate balance when you've recruited the guys you've wanted out of high school. And if you bring in an outsider like you did last year, that outsider is only going to come with the intention to play. And if they don't play, that could cause a whole other set of issues. Which worked, by the way, right? Last, I mean, oh, yeah, like, last year. We have to acknowledge that bringing in the outsider worked just fine. Oh, last year it like, did. But some, I mean, There might have been some hurt feelings, but, but sorry. Life wow. in the big city here. Who was hurt by last year? No, I just like Drew Pine's ego. I mean, that like he, uh, he wanted to play. He sure. lost the quarterback competition. Who was helped was the entire freaking Notre Dame football program by Jack Cohn being right. there. So. But we're also talking about a true freshman, a redshirt freshman, yeah. being the only guys in your room. Whereas these guys this year further along and, and we're building toward this year. So I, I don't know if anyone was all that hurt by, by last year's situation. All three ended up playing a decent amount anyway. But I, I just we knew this would be an issue coming in and watching it unfold live. It, it, it's just I mean, you were talking about this earlier. Sturdivant, one of the best guys on Cal today. Yeah, somebody in Notre Dame recruited, and they just you know they're like, well, we've got three receiver commits: Amorian Walker, who's now at Michigan, <laughs> C.J. Williams, who's at USC, and Tobias Merriweather, who can't get on the field. So, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I, I look Charlie Jones. I'm not saying Charlie Jones will go to Notre Dame. From my understanding, like that. Um, Partnership that that friendship he had with Aiden O'Connell was real, and he always wanted to play with him, and he saw the opportunity to do it in an offense that obviously is very pass happy, a little bit more pass happy than, than Iowa and Notre Dame, which might be playing in a bowl game uh, later this year uh, between two teams that will go on until someone scores an offensive touchdown. Um, 
I don't know how many people would pay to see that, but it, it's, I, I, I can't, like, I, that's where, again, play calling is play calling. We all play Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback. You don't play well, you lose. Like, everything's open um, for second guessing. I, I'm much more concerned in the big picture, from a big picture standpoint of, like, how did Notre Dame get to this point with this roster? Because it's Notre freaking Dame. Like, that, that yeah. should never happen. No, no. It's I mean, at receiver and quarterback, which is, I you know, I, I don't want to turn that into a crutch for people because, like, well, you can blame Brian Kelly for that if you want. Like, but they, who, Brian like, Kelly wasn't hell, mining the portal this year yeah, for like, Notre Dame when the, everyone in America was What the hell difference does that make? Yeah. Um, he's not here. Marcus Freeman is. Notre Dame's one and two. So, yeah, they, they are so – either poor or undeveloped the offensive skill positions, it's it's hard to sort of get your head around why, um, you know, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Um, it, but it's like in Estime and Tyree, I think they have two guys that are good enough to shoulder the load there. Um, they had a functional offensive line. Yeah. Those would be – but they both put at 100 yards easily. Yeah, but at receiver, they, they don't. Um, at quarterback, they don't. So – you know what does that get you the rest of the year? It probably gets you more to like a, a seven and five final record. Um, you know, as you're sort of looking over the horizon here, like the but still they're going to have to beat some teams that are actually good to get to seven and five. Like they don't have six more cows. They have one. More, they have one UNLV. Navy. They have one Navy. Everybody else can sort of get you. Um, you know, Boston College probably not because I don't know if Phil Dracovic will be standing upright at that point of the year because yeah, their offensive line is around. so bad. But boy, I mean, <laughs> but look, Stanford. You want to talk about worst case scenario yeah. though? Phil yeah. comes in here and wins on Senior Day after Notre Dame's gone through all their quarterback troubles. God knows like- I've covered that game before under the Charlie Weiss era with <laughs> Cam Dantley and Zach Frazier. Um, so yeah, but it's like USC, Clemson, North Carolina, BYU. Stanford, Syracuse, Syracuse for sure. Now Stanford, like that's BYU lost by twenty one in Oregon today. But that's like six, seven games that you're 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 not going to be able to play like you played against Cal and win those games. Um, You're going to have to find another level. Do I think Notre Dame has like another couple levels? Yeah, Uh, but this isn't a team like this team is not going to do what like the 19 team did where I think Brian Kelly built, or the, I'm sorry, the 20 team did where it's really kind of just awkward and funky at the beginning of the season, but it was all sort of building towards the Clemson game oh, yeah, where they went all in on that one and said, basically just screw it. This is the game we got, we got to go for it right. in this game. Uh, and, and they started preparing ahead of time for it, like the Pittsburgh game that year where they went out and just basically flexed because they knew they had to find another level, another two or three levels before they get to Clemson. Like, I don't even know what another two or three levels would look like, but I mean, to be fair to the situation, there are not a lot of teams that can find another two or three levels when they're playing their backup quarterback. Like no. that, that's just the reality Norm's living in through well, they should have a better quarterback room. When your starter goes down, your starter goes down. That's that's a hard place to be. To, to quote Brian Kelly, this is who we've got. It's not the NFL. It's not free agency. We can't go out and sign someone and bring them in today. Um, this is who they have. And, and like that 20 team was so mature. And oh, yeah. You knew that you know, amid all the uncertainty of that world that year. You knew as soon as Kelly began his fall camp press conference and said, I'm not worried about this team. I know what I got with them. And then had the the presence of mind to essentially talk about Clemson 
while beating Pittsburgh with multiple games there and basically saying, yeah, like we know what we're in for here. Like we know what we can do. Um, yeah, you're not, you're not going to see a team like that too often anywhere as far as the identity of it, the, the, the symbiotic nature between coaching staff and players. This is all new ground, entire new ground. Yeah, it was nice to see Manti Tail here today. Oh, yeah. Um, got shown on the board twice. I think one time's too many because they needed the crowd to get livened up or something. <laughs> and that's what got the crowd excited, seeing Manti Teo. It wasn't the play on the field for most of the game, that's for sure. But it was good to see Manti. It was good to see him in a good headspace, to see him smiling, even joking with all of us about how he missed us and, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it was it was cool to see. But, I mean, you talk about putting out all the stops. It, it, we you talk about what would have happened had they not won this game. Here's a recap of Notre Dame in the headlines this week. Manti Teo's back. New quarterback starting. Lou Holtz goes on some, I think it was a gambling podcast this week, and says he loves Mar- Marcus Freeman, but he's not sure if he's even going to make a bowl this year. They put names on their jerseys, which, of course, when you're 0-2 is going to be dissected endlessly. And news breaks of the coach green, converting green to, jerseys. Green jerseys. Well, yeah. we knew they were going to be green. We yeah. didn't know they were going to have names on them. Um, news breaks of the coach converting to the school religion, which most of us knew it happened a month ago. And, and Freeman and people around him were very adamant about keeping that private. But <laughs> I'm sorry, it's it's very very funny that that magically got leaked when the coach was 0 two and needed every bit of goodwill he could possibly get from this fan base, and he gets a win on top of it. There was, yeah, like we were saying, there was a lot today. <laughs> today today was multitudes uh, to get Notre Dame to its first win of the season. I, You know, and I think that's part of the exhaustion, right? Like, it's not like Notre Dame just came out and we're like, let's just play better today. Let's execute better. No, you had all this extra stuff going on, which, like, Notre Dame has a tendency to do. There's always a lot of extra stuff here for one reason or another. Um, today was more than usual. Um, it was, I agree, it was cool to see Manti back here. I don't know if you were watching the video board, but like when he was introduced, presenting the flag, you know, he got emotional. You could see it. And then the fans actually tr- took it up another couple right. levels with the cheers and he got more emotional. So that was very cool, um, you know, to sort of see him back on uh, familiar ground after, you know, what the last 10 years have been like for him. Um, he said he seems said, like uh, he could have played today, frankly. I mean, yeah. he was still okay. He was in pretty good shape. Have. Yeah. But he said Marcus Reed reminds him of Bob Yaka. Yeah, that that gave me uh, <laughs> I looked around when he said that to see if anyone gave me had the, the shivers, same, honestly. Same reaction I did. I was like, what's how do you say energy vampire in Polynesian? I didn't, I don't really know how that how that works. But other than that, like yeah, that that was the feel good part of the the pregame. I guess the feel-good part of post-game is just to sort of see Notre Dame's players and its head coach kind of exhale for the first time in six, eight weeks. I don't know. Uh, maybe since the first practice. I remember being at the first practice and Marcus Freeman getting on the team about how much work they had to do. And I sort of interpreted it as like, oh, you know, that's like something the head coach knows right. he's going to say after the first practice, regardless of what he saw. But uh, maybe he, his powers of perception were on point that day, and he knew how far this team had to go. But do, do even that, that I, do you think that though? not like, this far? This does not resemble anything either of us heard throughout camp. No, no. I was, think that, I, Notre Dame staff was confident yes. they were going to be able to move the ball on the ground. Um, their offensive line was going to be good. Uh, their pass rush had a chance to be excellent, uh, and then Tyler Buckner was going to be really good at quarterback, which. I, 
really good is an overstatement about how he played the first couple right. of weeks of the year. Um, you know, and then you get through, you, you know, the pine change up here is just not something, you know, would you say they didn't see it coming? Probably not. But did they know this was a possibility? Considering Freeman said, hey, Drew Pine, we know you're going to play this year. And Reese said, Pine, yeah. I need you to be ready. Like, with the injuries Buckner had had, you knew you were going to get to this point at, at that's, that's, some moment. That's been Notre Dame football as long as you and I have covered right. it, right? Like, very few guys have made it season to, beginning to end of season in one piece, so to speak, or, or without major hiccups at quarterback. So I think Drew Pine is the perfect kind of makeup for this situation. He took losing the job very hard, but you know, Marcus Freeman said today, like, I think he used the term warrior. He said everyone can learn from the way he responded um, for this program with the confidence he, he's brought to this team, despite you know not being the starter entering the season. But I, I, I do, I mean, I, I think this coaching staff grossly misevaluated. I don't know if it was the personnel, the talent, the demeanor, like this is or not just like the way the practices were right. structured, like what they were able to show in practice perhaps was not set up to be replicated in a right. game. I don't know. This don't... does not look at all like the team we were promised publicly and yeah. privately we would see. That I think is year. that, you know, it's a, it's a much bigger question for Marcus Freeman, a big, bigger picture question for Marcus Freeman down the road. Not something that I think that we would ask and certainly not something we would get answered now, but like. I would think after the year, Marcus Freeman is going to have to take a step back and be like, how did I misread this situation in August? How do I create a training camp next year, create an offseason next year that is more informative and more accurate of what the program is? So then I'm not surprised when kickoff happens in Dublin against Navy, that I'm not surprised um, you know, once the season starts and Ohio State comes here at the end of September. So... That's right. That's a, probably a, a different podcast for another day. But, uh, I mean, for now, first one of the season, it takes – I don't know if it takes a lot of pressure off, but it's it definitely is it, a I little mean, bit the, of relief. The, alter, yeah, the, the alternative, alternative is not good. Right. Yeah, it doesn't suddenly make you a great team, uh, but it stops you from being the first coach to start Owen whatever. Yeah. Um Three you know, games, if, three different jerseys. If they, they got a fourth this year, if they went 0 3 in these, they would have thrown the lost today. Year. I think it would have been the only the second 0 3 start in program history, the other one being in 2007. Great. You don't want any comparisons to that stink. So um, you avoid all that. That's the, that's, that's the big positive. That's real. Uh, that means something for Freeman. It means something for Notre Dame. It means something for the roster. So that's. Uh, that's a takeaway worth taking away, I guess, is probably the best way to put that if you're Notre Dame right now. Yeah. Chapel Hill on deck. That'll be uh Will you be short. joining me down there or no? Don't think so. I think I haven't been home one weekend yet. I'm going to be home. Uh, I'm planning on being home this week. I want to see if I can make it work where I could do that and Clemson at Wake Forest. Mm. If one was at noon and one was at night um, in the same state, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So I, I think I'll be watching this one from yeah. – uh, the tube, which uh, who's broadcasting for that? Ooh, I think it's an ABC ESPN. I'm not sure who the broadcast team is, but it's a 3:30 start, so we're at least winning a little bit in that way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we'll wrap up this episode of the Shamrock from a top Notre Dame stadium after Notre Dame's 24-17 win over Cal. Matt and I will be back during the week talking a little North Carolina, see where the program goes. I have a feeling that there will be the the drama of Notre Dame season. To, 
did not end today. I don't know if it slowed down today. So the misery ended. The we, drama did not. We will have a lot more to talk about moving forward. So until then, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.